Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's Most Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. It's Wheeler Dealer Radio. I'm your host, Greg, and we are here to, you know, we, we always want to talk about these games. We played a cup final this week. It's really exciting when Spurs get to play at a cup final. We beat West Ham United 3-1. to one. Uh, it's, not our, it's not our cup final, but it's someone's cup final, so I think it still counts. Joining me this week, uh, we have the whole crew back under one roof. Coming to us live from Miami, uh, presumably on the slopes, it is Brian Ashlock. Brian, how's it going? Good, good. Uh, pay no attention to the two women twerking behind me. They, that's, you know, I didn't invite them here. That's just, that's just a thing that sometimes happens here. And pretending to smoke a cigar on, on the screen under him, coming to us from the wilds of, of, Mid Georgia is Ben Daniels. Ben, uh, are you engaged in any illicit activities while we record this podcast? No, I'm just just vaping here, unless uh, that's become illegal under Joe Biden's tyranny. Uh, I don't know about it yet. <laughs> Have you made a uh, political switch since that uh, iTunes review? <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. In a, in a desperate bid to ingratiate ourselves with Joe Rogan's listeners. Yeah, I mean, I just think it's important that we all hear both sides, all three sides, all five sides, I think. So that would be what Antonio Conte says on a Monday, what Antonio Conte says on a Friday, and what Boris Johnson says on a Wednesday? I don't know. Yeah, you got the whole spectrum there. Okay, fair enough. So yes, uh, because I forgot to do it first, please don't forget to leave us reviews on iTunes and, and Spotify. Please don't. Uh, forget to follow us on Twitter at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. Okay, Tottenham beat West Ham 3-1. This game was, I think, one of the stranger games I've watched in recent memory in that we were very good uh, through most of the game. But after we went up 2-0, it just became one of those, like you kept waiting for Spurs to kill it off and it never quite happened. But... I don't want to get too negative on this because I think this is a really good performance, and I think this kind of puts the last couple. This, I think this puts the last month or so of Spurs football in an interesting context because you know I do think Spurs are kind of clicking into gear right now, and I, I think you can see that in the way Conte talks about the team. I think you can see it when you watch the team. I mean, they're really starting to figure it out, and I don't know how much that's experience under Conte, the opponents we're playing, or just getting our two Juve boys integrated into the squad and then really fixing some problems. But I think we're really rounding into form right now. Yeah, I mean, I think this match is a lot better than you're giving it credit for. I think, you know, going 2-0 up early and then conceding a goal against the run of play as a Spurs fan is just always going to make you insanely nervous. And then going into the second half, we just kept going kept creating chances, kept not scoring. We've all seen this movie. We know it ends with a West Ham equalizer against the run of play, and it's very stupid, and we all get very mad. Um, 
But that's not what happened. We just beat the shit out of them. I mean, they they didn't do anything, really, after their goal. Like, that was it. That was their one good chance of the match, and everything else was our way. Um, you know, I mean, I mean our the goals were, like, three to slightly less than one. You know, the, the score line ended up being, like, exactly in line with that single game expected goal performance. But we were on top from start to finish. It was very comfortable. West Ham had very little to offer. And it was like the Brighton performance, minus we conceded a goal, plus we got that third goal. But it was altogether professional, a little dull, but we were very good. And that's really all you want in a game like this. You know, we've seen us blow a 3-0 lead to West Ham very recently. So sealing a, a professional 3-1 win is is great. Yeah, I, I agree with Ben. I think that we were largely in control of this game. I think there was a period of about, I don't know, five or ten minutes after they brought on subs and, and sort of changed the formation a little bit that they kind of got back into the game. Um, but nothing that resulted in an actual chance or any sort of jeopardy um, for our goal. Uh, you know, I, I I think David Moyes said after the match that, you know, we didn't really create anything that there that Spurs didn't really create anything that, you know, we, we just like hit them on the counter. And I don't know how you could have watched that match and come away with, from that, with that conclusion. Um, we just had the ball for long periods of time and like, yeah, we, we, we circulated the ball kind of deep at times, but and, you know, a couple of our goals come, you know, on counterattacking opportunities. But, you know, I don't know. We we had the ball more. We knocked it around more. We had more comfortable possession. Um, I, I, I think the thing that I'm enjoying about the last few matches and about this game specifically is we're just pinging the ball around all over the place. And it looks crisp and quick and efficient in a way that sort of, possession in latter era Pochettino and, and Jose Mourinho's time didn't look. It, it, we don't look as ponderous on the ball. We don't look like we don't have ideas for moving the ball from back to front. Like it, It's very clear that, that we have plans for ball movement and moving the ball at pace. And I think especially in this match, uh, Benton Kerr was really really good at that um you know he had such a good game i think he had he had something like 90 passes 95 passes in the game completed 90 percent of them or 95 percent of them and every single one of them seemed to be you know uh like just blazed in at pace they were you know one and two touch passes um, what are you they, shaping them around the defense? I mean that yeah that everything involved in this goal was in the in Sun's goal, which I think was the second goal of the match, was incredible. Like that whole sequence is really good, but it all starts with this incredible pass from Bentoncourt to Harry Kane that like sort of you know curves around two West Ham players and you know just finds Kane in his feet. And Kane makes a second incredible pass to Sun after that. But it's I think you're right, Brian. Bentancourt is again. I mean, we talk a lot about Kulishevsky on this podcast, but he's, I mean, he's an incredible addition. And other than just, you know, I guess if you invent this, you got to sell saleable assets. Like 
you, you watch him play in the Premier League and you wonder what the hell they were doing getting rid of this guy. Well, I mean, look, you know, I thought in, in some of the games where we have looked bad, he has also looked bad. Um, you know, he was, I thought, less good against Manchester United. Um, and I thought, you know, in uh, some of the other games that we have, have not won, um, like Burnley, um, he, he has looked less good. Um, but like the, the last couple, he's he's looked really good, really confident, really comfortable um you know i don't think he's still yet quite the level of creative passer that that we would maybe like in the team but he's certainly a better passer a better creator than than what some of the quote-unquote experts were telling us when he when he came over um he's very comfortable on the ball almost almost to the extent that he gave me a heart attack when he just kind of like dawdled on the ball at the top of our box at like what like 85th minute or whatever and then just nonchalantly turns past two West Ham attackers to get out of trouble and I was just like I don't know that he meant to do that I don't know if West Ham screwed up the press on that it ended up looking really cool but like it, it was terrifying like heart and mouth stuff but that was it was very Dembele-esque though and that was it was really nice to see that you know, the thing I really like about him is that he's very calm in possession. And I think in his weaker games, he's looked a little off the pace, not necessarily comfortable with the speed of opposition play around him, uh, how quickly he's going to get put under pressure, or how quickly he needs to respond to a counterattack and, and stuff like that. But when he's on, he feels like he is a really good tempo-setting midfielder. He is very unhurried under pressure. He's, you know, like that turn you mentioned, he saw where the players were. He knew where to move the ball to like keep it out of West Ham feet and like turn that moment of panic into a moment of opportunity for us. And I feel like he has that ability to just keep the ball moving in very safe ways until it's time for him to do something like that pass to Harry Kane that completely removes Declan Rice from the play and sets him free you know, he had that through ball to Kane um, against, was that Man U? Um, you know, like he has the ability to take the ball and turn it into something more progressive and more exciting. But he picks his spots. You know, he's not Ndombele. He's not Modric. He's not the guy who's always looking for that opportunity to break lines and slice things open and, and create opportunities. He's very very much choosing his moments and yeah, it's, it's been, it's been, I think a really good addition to Conte ball. I think in the way that he wants to play, the way he wants his midfielders to operate, it's very safe until the opportunity arises for them to take a chance. Ben, you had an interest that we were talking uh, about some of these players, about the Juve boys this week. And you mentioned uh, how they should, we, we should really, Use this as an example to shape our transfer policy with post height fives. You want to talk about that a little bit? Well, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there's a lot of clubs out there, Spurs included, who have made very smart transfers based on scouting and analytics that don't necessarily work out. For us, it was Ndombele and Lo Celso. For Juventus, it was guys like Kulosevsky and Bentoncourt. Um, you know, Manchester United bought Memphis to Pie. Um, who did 
terribly for Man U and then moved on to greener pastures and is now playing very well at Barcelona. And it does feel like there is a, a kind of market of, of those post-hype guys who someone smartly identified, brought into a team, and it didn't quite work out as expected. And those guys are still good players. And if you can pick them off while they're, you know, still good and not fitting in and not like five years into just like languishing, like an Anthony Martial, for example, is a guy who I think a few years ago, if we had, you know, prized away from Man U, we could have given a second lease on life. I think there's just a, a whole universe of players out there um, like Bentoncourt and Kulishevsky who got snapped up maybe a little too early, maybe in the wrong environment, who, you know, another club could give them a new home and, you know, bring them back to life. You know, think of like a Wilfred Zaha who went to Man U too early and has become, you know, fantastic for Crystal Palace and could have gone somewhere else a few years ago. Just unfortunately got stuck in that whirlpool of, of, yeah, if, if only he could have done something about that. I, yeah. I look, I look forward to Ben promoting us signing Timo Werner this off season. Yeah, let's not get carried away. Like I think Timo Werner is a great example of that. Look, like, we don't need stat sheet Soldado. We don't need stat sheet Soldado in this team. Okay. Someone is going to buy Timo Werner, and he's going to do better for them than he did at Chelsea. Yeah, I'm sure the Colorado Rapids are going to really enjoy Timo Werner. Five. But yeah, I'm just saying, like we have seemed to find that sort of secondary used market um, in these guys, and uh, yeah, I think I think there's some gems ripe for the plucking. Well, it's it's interesting when you think about it, because like I'm sure that like you look at a guy like in Dom, a guy like in Celso, who like get out of Spurs and are just like, thank God I'm out of that like madhouse, you know, because it was so messy and ugly. You know, and Dombele talked about how he had, like, six coaches in three years or whatever it was. And, you know, but at the same time, like, Kulashevsky's coming here. And, you know, it's like, oh, I'm in London and Antonio Conte is coaching me and I'm straight in the first team and I'm beating Man City. He's probably, you know, after, like, you know, Ronaldo and Pirlo as a coach and Allegri and just, like, all the general nonsense that surrounds Juve, he probably thinks Spurs are just, like, a you know, like a breath of fresh air, you know, so it's all about, like you said, it's perspective, it's about where you get them, it's about when you get them, and it's about what the situation is a good fit for. Right, and I think we really underrate those aspects of just being a human being at a football club and, like, what those challenges might look like and how not doing well isn't necessarily a testament to, like, your quality as a player so much as the quality of your environment. Um, you know, and I, I feel like we talk about this a lot with, with the guys at Spurs who are not living up to their potential, you know, I, I, I don't think there's any question. Those are good players or smart buys. It just didn't work. And that's okay. You know, but finding guys who didn't work somewhere else, you know, like a Raphael Vanderbart didn't quite work out at Real Madrid and came to Spurs and became great. Or Arjen Robin, who was at Real Madrid, not so good, went to Bayern and had a decade of, you know, just destroying everybody. There's guys like that out there all the time. And I feel like, you know, once a transfer goes bad, I think people get a little stink on them. And you don't want to go for the guy who's already proven a failure. But seeing the way we've sort of revitalized the careers of the Juve boys, it makes me think that this is a, an under under 
explored market. No, I, I think you're right. And I think there's like, especially if you're a club like Spurs, I mean, Bayern's obviously not the Robin example. I don't think it translates here. But if you're a club like Spurs, you probably get a little bit of extra equity with the player that you might not have gotten if Spurs, like, say, bought, you know, Kuliszewski from Parma. Like, you know, there would have been other issues there if we'd gotten him earlier in his career. But because he's, like, gone to Juve, it, like, sucked for a whole variety of reasons. And now he's at Spurs, and it's so much better. Like, I mean, I don't know this for a fact, but my guess is he's probably having the time of his life right now. (laughs) And you know, that probably buys you a little bit of extra equity. Like, Rafa Vandervaart had a very productive career, and then it stalled out at Real Madrid, and he is very widely known for two seasons of football at Spurs. Like, he's very closely associated with our club, partly because, like, yeah, he got to go have fun here again. And, you know, he didn't, you know, he wasn't doing that at Real Madrid. So I think, you know, I think especially for a club like Spurs that might, sometimes struggle to convince players of a certain level to come play for us. That is a market that you might want to look a little more heavily at. Now you need to be careful because some of these guys might actually just be busts. And, you know. Right. Nobody bought Lewis Holpe and, like, was glad about that decision. <laughs> I mean, I I was glad about those decisions. but Didn't he? He went to Everton after Spurs, right? No, he went to Hamburg. He went to Hamburg, he was at Blackburn for a while, he might still be there. The last now. thing I remember about Lewis Holtby on a football pitch was him yelling at Hamburg fans when they were like, I think they didn't get relegated that year, eventually they did, but like, yeah, I remember him like, off. yeah, it was, yeah, but, um, but yeah, like, a guy like Kulishevsky was like, that's the kind of bet Spurs should be taking, you know, it's it's a good signing, and it's, it's really paid off for us, and hopefully it pays lots of dividends. Um, He's currently at Holstein Kiel, who play in the two Bundesliga. Oof. Signing of the century uh, there. Yeah. Holstein Kiel. Um, but, you know, and, and so, like, while I appreciate what you're saying about people that we can, like, you know, post-hype buys, I think the thing that I'm kind of enjoying is the number of players in our team that are now being well coached and actually look good again. Um, you know, I think we've talked about Doherty in the past and how he he now looks like uh, he, he's being played in a position that he's good at and he appears to be a, a, a pretty good and, and, you know, functional right wing back in this system. Um, I, know, I know Ben, you know, he's kind of like a... He's pretty useless, like, overall, but, like, it's working right now. And, and I mean, he's he's directly involved in the goals in this game. He had another, you know, just another all-around good game. And he does some interesting and different things at the wing-back position, and he's really good. Um, you know, Eric Dyer looks so good now. Uh, even Ben Davis looks ben Davies. You know, reasonably we all... competent. We were all ready to turn that guy into glue. I mean, we've talked about this on this podcast a million times. Oh, every, week. every week is like the, oh my God, Ben Davis didn't shoot himself. I, it deserves, it. I mean, it's crazy. We hated this guy for like three years. I mean, look, we are we are instantly improved by simply buying someone who is actually a center back and left-footed to play in that position. Um, but, but think about this. He's... Think about this. Next year, Spurs' starting lineup, let's assume everyone on the team is healthy 
and Antonio Conte's here, and he's picking his first his first team lineup for his first game of the year. There's no schedule considerations. So you, Eric Dyer's probably still at the front of our back yep. three, right? I don't think we're going to replace him this window. I just don't know what you would find necessarily. I I don't know that Spurs are willing to spend the money that they would need at that it, for that particular role to improve upon him. Like I think it's much easier to improve on the on on Davis and or Davies and the wingbacks than it is to improve on Eric Dyer. I I certainly think that there are better defenders out there than him. I think that there are people that can play that role better. But he is playing so well right now, and he looks very comfortable in that role. And like the 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 difficulty you would have to go through to get the 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 type and the quality of player to play in that position that's that's a legitimate improvement over Dyer is just. I, I mean, you've got to get someone who can pass the ball, head the ball, point at other players, shout at other the players. Is so important. Um, the the pointing and look like a real hard man like that's the stuff you can't you like can't how many it. how many footballers can legitimately pull off an mma haircut in the way that eric dyer can yeah uh, i'm not sure eric dyer can pull off that <laughs> no i mean like the thing is is like conte's system really hides the middle center back from like a lot of responsibility you know so you surround him with a, a ben davis replacement you've got romero who we need to talk about yeah romero, yeah good left center back you know, you can play Davidson Sanchez back there or Joe Roden back there at a pinch, and, like, it probably isn't going to cost you that much as long as those wide center backs are, you know, Romero-caliber kind of players. I actually – this is going to – This is not a criticism of – No, no, like, but I do think there is a level, and I think we've seen it step up. I mean, I, I've joked – I've joked on here and I've joked with my friends that there's a lot more pointing and shouting going on in the back line over the last few weeks. It's funny to make jokes about that. I also think there's probably something to Dyer being the one who's organizing everything. And, you know, I think there is some leadership qualities there that are probably useful as team. And I think it's a little different than, say, and I don't think this is necessarily what you're implying, but you go look at, like, Pochettino's um, back three when we played that for a year. And Sanchez was the middleman back then. And that was a guy, I mean, you want to talk about being hidden by a system. I mean, I think that's a guy being hidden by a system. That's like... You stop the ball, don't let anyone get past you, and then pass it to your right or your left, and they'll move the ball. And I think, well, I, I agree with you that, you know, this is a system that is minimizing Dyer's weaknesses. I do think he is doing more, both as a leader and a player, than that. Yeah. Oh, I, I don't disagree. I just think, given the other buys we have to make, yeah. Dyer so like, the last guy we need to replace. But I don't think any of us would have said that, like, in December. No. But, but yeah, yeah, let's we talk, about, talk about yeah Romero, who just ruined Mikel Antonio so badly he had to come off 55 minutes into the game and completely neutered West Ham's attack. I, I know this isn't true, but it feels like every West Ham game we've played for the last, like, four years has been a 1-0 loss on some bullshit Antonio header. And, like, there's a video going around. I think it's, like, two minutes of Romero just clowning Antonio, and it's just... It's something I, I, I didn't know I needed as badly as I needed it because go seek it out online. It's 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 incredible. It's wonderful. It's everything you think it'll be and more. It's it's so interesting to watch him play because 
I just can't think of another center back that plays in the same way that he does in that, you know, he, he steps out from the back line. will follow the striker if they drop deep. And I, and I know, look, that that's part of the system and that's part of his role within the system. But like, he's a center back who seems very comfortable not being a center back. Like he, he's so often stepping into midfield, making runs into the box on in the attack like and i mean look all the defensive stuff he does is great but i just think the the ball progression the the carrying the ball the the movement off the ball in the attack is is i've just never seen anybody do that he does so many like he's like five different center backs at one because he's he's roaming around the pitch like a maniac he's com- he's comfortable playing the ball in defense he is an absolute psychopath hard man. Like, you know, he's, I mean, ju- just that alone, I can't remember the last time I've seen a center back as violent as him. I mean, he just does all these things at once. I mean, the only thing I think I could criticize him is I think he needs to get better in the air, which he'll probably do. It's interesting. The the extra inch this week kind of compared him, said the, the one person that, that he kind of plays like is Sergio Ramos. Oh, what an interesting comparison that somebody might have made on this podcast uh, a week ago. <laughs> uh, I didn't listen, so I couldn't say who it was. I'm sure it was Greg because he's very smart about. I am. Football. I am. Who's uh, the last? I'm, I'm trying yeah, to think of like. He's very much like an iron fist in a velvet glove kind of guy, where you usually have like your psychopath defenders and your elegant defenders, and like there are very different breeds of player, and he is very much both of them at the same time in a way that is rare and makes him so much more exciting. But it's not just that. He's those things, and he's running up the... Like, you've got plenty of... Ele- like, Ledley King was an elegant defender. He didn't... Like, he wasn't in the opposition's box for half the match. You know, I, I think, look, we've been spoiled at Spurs it, over the last, you know, five, ten years, where we've gotten to see some... Ac- despite our lack of defensive solidity at times, we've gotten to see some actually really good center backs with, you know, Ledley King, um, Vertonghen, uh, Alderweireld, and all of them very, very different. And I, I, you know, I, I, I don't even think that, that Romero is comparable to any of those. I guess to me, he's he's like if Vertonghen was more aggressive and just slightly crazier. Um, I think that's the, old, the the closest comparison. But I mean, he he's just a unique and special snowflake. And it's, it's kind of the the best I can describe him, at least in the Spurs vernacular, is like, what if Sandro played center back? Like that's that's about as close as I can get. Yes, <laughs> but was also good on the ball and could pass. He's like, what if you put a Rolls Royce in Twisted Metal on PlayStation? <laughs> like, that's that's Romero's energy. He's just so classy and so psychotic, and it's 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 gorgeous. Like, I, I mean, I've, I've said this, I think, like every week, but like, I have never loved a center back like I love Romero, and it's been such a short amount of time. But like, center backs don't do that. You know, like they shouldn't do that, arguably, but he does and it works and it's fucking so cool. I mean, 
no one will ever replace Vertonghen in my heart. Like he, he's like my favorite Spurs center back ever. Like I, I loved everything about him. He wore my favorite number. I've got multiple Vertonghen kits. Like, uh, but like Romero is, I, I don't know. It's it, it, every week I'm like, no, what are you doing there? And then I'm like, oh, okay, that was good. You know, so. <laughs> You're like, how, who is that in the box? Oh, shit, it's Romero. Well, all right, good. That worked. Nice. Well, it's like, you know, you see him doing certain things that you're used to seeing other centers. It's like, oh, he's up the field like David Luiz used to get. And you're like you said, Brian, your instinct is to sort of yell at him and be like, what are you doing? Get back into position. But he's fine. And even when he, like, puts a dirty foul in, you kind of want to yell at him, like, for what are you doing there? And then he always just... You know, not be just enough. Like he, he doesn't go. He, he keeps it from the going video, too far. The video you're talking about showing him on and uh, Mikel Antonio is like he goes through the back of his legs like every time and just doesn't get called foul. And that's that's a skill. You know? Well, it's like, also I'm, I'm sure there's an element of like picking your targets, like. You know, you, you, if you want to get really physical on Antonio, you're probably not going to get called for that quite as often as you will on, say, Luka Modric. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I just it, <laughs> it's kind of amazing to me that he wound up here. That's like, and and when we bought him, we were all like, oh yeah, he's pretty good. Like he's an aggressive defender, and you know, I th- I think he'll be he'll be interesting and he'll be good. I I think he's one of, if not the best center backs in the league. I think I think we were talking about this last week. I don't, I think Paratici probably doesn't get enough credit for what a good signing that was. And I wonder if the fact that he's so aggressive, I mean, in terms of getting upfield, maybe scared other teams off because they only thought he'd work in certain systems. But like I don't know, maybe he works better for a guy like Conte who wants his center backs roaming upfield. You could stick this guy to any team in the league. I mean, you could put him on Pep City and he'd be fine. I mean, I think very specifically, like, he and Conte are such a match made in heaven in terms of what he wants a center back to do and what Romero is capable of doing. You know, we didn't see a lot of him under Nuno. He was hurt. He was quarantined because of his Argentina adventures. But, you know, his his time at Spurs has really been only under Antonio Conte. And... You know, I don't think Conte could have asked for a better center back in the world for what he wants his wide center backs to do. You know, like you said, he's everywhere and does everything and moves intelligently through the phases of play. And when he pops up in the box, because he's supposed to be popping up in the box, when he's in midfield, it's because we need that extra body in midfield. You know, he's never he's never hanging us out to dry by these adventures. It's always very, very deliberate. Um, and I, I, I would love to hear Conte just like sing his praises for a while because I, I, I just can't imagine him being happier with anybody else in that position. Well, and, and what you hit on there, Ben, I think the thing that I find most impressive about him is that his sort of, you call it adventures into midfield or up the pitch, like they have not hung us out to dry. I mean, we, we just referenced him in comparison to David Luiz and, how often does David Luiz going on a walkabout with the ball wind up, you know, screwing over his team? Like, how often does he get caught in possession? Uh, 
and then the other team has an odd man rush. Like that that's part of the David Luiz stepping on rakes type, you know, sort of meme thing about him. And I mean, you know, maybe Romero hasn't just played enough minutes, but I can't think of an instance where he was subsequently out of position because of a time he stepped into midfield attack. Um, I can think of he's gotten us in trouble once or twice, and then he has immediately fixed the problem by either like a tactical foul or going and getting the ball back. Yeah, there was and, a moment I mean, late where he's in midfield, he makes a challenge and stumbles, and he looks like he's about to go down, and like sees I think sees that the call isn't coming, and gets back up and chases Ben Rama down all the way back to the box and puts in the tackle and then like walks the ball back out you know, into, into possession. And like, he's also just, he's very fast. He's a very quick player and is very smart and heads up. And yeah, I, he's just, he's just perfect. I just love and him. I, and I think in an era where you have so many like false nines and, and strikers that are willing to drop in between the lines and, and, and do things where they're just not stationary, focal target men. Um, having a player like him who is going to track, uh, you, you know, uh, Mikel Antonio as he as he when he drops deep or comes into midfield to to pick up the ball. Uh, I, I think it's incredibly valuable. Um, you know that that certainly has value when we when we play against some of the the bigger better teams. You know, you know he's going to be the guy that tracks you know whoever Liverpool is playing at striker, whoever City is playing at striker, and and, and you're comfortable with him dropping deep into midfield or not dropping deep for him, but dropping into midfield and and picking those guys up in those areas because one he has the spatial awareness and the 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 quickness and the lateral movement to be able to handle that and, and two he's just like he's just so good just so good you know Ryan on the podcast joked last week that like he doesn't like center backs because they're failed footballers who just had to play center back because they weren't good enough at anything else and i think there was definitely like a period of time when that wasn't a joke like that's just you're playing football. You're not so technical. Go play defense, and if you can play defense, hey, great. You also happen to be six foot three. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I could out jump you, and I'm like in middle school, exactly. Yeah. But like, you know, I think as football evolves, and like, you know, we ask a lot more of positions that aren't just your front three to do interesting things and be able to play on the ball. Like Romero is a very modern center back in the idea of what a team that starts playing from the goalkeeper out needs a center back to be capable of doing. And he is just a great example of that evolution of play. He doesn't feel like a guy who got stuck playing center back and had to just sort of develop something around that. Or, or like, you know, you look at like Eric Garcia, Barcelona, who like they keep sticking out there because they're lunatics who are in, like, they put him back there because he can play it out of the back. Never mind, he can't do any of the stuff that center backs are supposed to do. But he can play it out of the back. So they, they're, they're obsessed with this idea of, like, oh, we want footballers there. And the thing that's so incredible about Romero, like I've been saying, is he just he does it all. Like, he, he's great at doing the things center backs need to do. He can get stuck in if he needs to. But when he, like, sort of starts roaming up the pitch, he also does it with a level of intelligence that, like, you know, 
like you're saying, Brian, like he doesn't like it's not like Dava Louise where he's hanging his teammates out to dry and he's just like it's you know it's time for me to go get my goal. Like he's he's reading the attack, he's understanding his role in the system. It's he's just a really smart footballer and it's really fun to watch him and it's a it's a really good signing and I'm kind of I'm kind of excited to see who we can sort of pair with him and Dyer in the back line this summer because we've been linked to some pretty interesting young names and. You know, hopefully it's some big guy that can head the shit out of the ball. That's yeah, what hope, we really need. Hopefully uh, Romero's not the only like excellent center back that Paratici bought at Juve that we could now buy this summer. I mean, I, just imagine two of them. You know, Imagine two guys like Romero flanking Dyer, blasting out of the back line into midfield and into the box. And I don't know that a system could sustain having two of them in it. I think you need at least a couple. I think you need two of the center backs to be a little bit conservative. You know, you know what couldn't sustain two of them is for Carlson. Yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> um, so this has been uh, Romero cast the all yeah. Romero podcast. Wheeler deal Romero. <laughs> <laughs> I think we would be remiss. Uh, I think it becomes easy to overlook this, but Kane and Son are incredible, and we're incredible once again. Oh, yeah, the guys that scored and assisted all the goals. Yeah, I guess yeah. we can talk about them. I mean, our attack is incredible right now. Like, it's just... Yeah, those guys are so good. And they're still not... I think that was the weird thing. I think that's the tension that I was feeling earlier in the match, is, like, we never quite put it... We didn't put it out of sight till the very end, because... We're simultaneously extremely clinical and not as clinical as we ought to be, um, because we, you're, you guys are right. We were creating good chances, we were in control of the match, but we just weren't putting them away. And there was nothing that we were doing wrong. It was just you know sometimes the ball doesn't fall to you that way. But I mean these guys were, I mean they were really good. That like if Son had put that chance in that Kulishevsky created for him, you know he's like falling on his ass and he hits the post. Like I mean he would deserve that. But these guys are God, they're so good. Even like. I feel like every few weeks, Spurs fans talk themselves into thinking Son isn't that good. And then, you know, you look at a game like this. And it's just like, no, Son is great. Like, he's maybe not Harry Kane, but he's great. And we're extremely lucky to have him on our team. Yeah, I mean. I don't know which one of us you want to take that. But, I mean, I mean you know, look. Uh, Son and Kane, like, this is what we've done for the last three three years. I mean, but this version of Harry Kane in this system has just been so fun to watch the last few weeks. Um, you know, and and I don't know if this is sort of the final evolution of Harry Kane. This is this is what he is, and this is what he will always will be. But if it is, I, I I'm all for it. Like this is like him coming between the lines, picking up the balls, and then just you know playing these crazy through balls, the, you know, these really just incredible passes is, is great to watch. I, I almost, I was at the, at the end of the game, I was almost like wishing he would just rein it in a little bit. Like there's a time, like we're in like the 80 something minute and he plays like a through ball that he overhits towards sun. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. But like, we need to hold on to the ball a little bit here. Like, Maybe just knock it back to Hoybeerg and then like move up the pitch slowly. Um, but like that's that's not what his game is. I mean, he he gets the ball in those positions and he just immediately turns and picks his head up and and finds Sun. And 
and Sun knows that every time Harry gets the ball in into feet, you know, around the halfway line, that that's the pass that's coming, and he makes the run. And I, I don't know how you, if you're a defense, I don't know how you stop it other than you just have your offside trap working perfectly. And Sun is such a smart footballer that. I don't. I don't know. I. I don't know that that's going to be a hundred percent successful every time. Yeah, I mean, the closest it ever has come to working has been Kyle Walker on Man City, just like being capable of of running with Sun, and it still didn't work. We still beat Man City, you know, like yeah, because Walker could run with Sun all day, and then Harry Kane's going to just run him over like a dump truck at the end of the match. Yeah, I mean. You know, the teams that beat Spurs do not beat Spurs when we're playing the way we want to play. They beat Spurs when they're playing the way that they want to play, and we can't play the way we want to play. They play a very deep block that removes the space in behind for Sun to run into. They play a very aggressive press that disrupts the ball to Kane in the first place. You know, that's when we've been losing games um, recently, or, or at least not scoring, you know. When we lost to Man U, we still hung two goals on him. Uh, it's it's just it's just very hard to stop a guy who's who's that quick and that in tune with the guy playing the pass, you know, behind behind the last line of defense. And most defenders are not capable of just keeping up a Sun's foot speed. Well, now that you have another attacker who's like contributing chances and assists, it's it's becoming a lot harder to defend than it was before. Right. I mean, Kulisevsky also gives us the ability to get Harry Kane back into play. You know, I think there's been maybe some conversation about Kane not being in the box enough because he's playing these like crazy passes from from deep. Um, But, you know, he's also playing those passes. And if it doesn't work out, catching back up to play. And Kulisevsky is the guy who allows us to reset around the box and keep the play alive and, you know, is not like a like Lucas who gets the ball and just, you know, kind of keeps burning towards the goal, regardless of who's in front of him. I think Kulisewski has a much better brain on him in terms of assessing the state of play and figuring out where the ball needs to go and waiting for that run to catch up to things and, you know, allowing Kane to be a second phase of attack. Um but yeah, I mean, it's just been a, a great partnership between the three of them. Is that still a partnership? Yeah, I think people? so, right? Depending on what partner? state you're in. <laughs> yeah, this, they're a really cute throuple. Kane's um, son LLC has been uh, very effective. And, you know, Kulisevsky in this game was, he was good. I, I mean, this wasn't like his standout performance or anything but he had some really good moments i mean the greg you already touched on you know the the one that banged off the post like his whole involvement in that the build-up to that goal and then like the little layoff he did to sun the box was great and then there's one where you know probably like 15 minutes later um bentinker just like drills a pass at like knee height towards him and he does on first look, I thought he was, like, trying to get out of the way, but he does a very purposeful little flick into, I think it's Sun's path, um, that just it doesn't end up 
you know, resulting in a goal, but it's just like, wow. Like the, the speed of thought to, to do that, to, to get the ball around the corner to, for a teammate to run onto when the ball was absolutely blasted at him. Um, was just, I, it, it's so good. And it's, he's so skillful. And it's one of the differences between him and, uh, Lucas, like Lucas will, you know, you talk about a good Lucas performance. I feel like it's like, oh, did you see that run he made? Like, you're talking about one or two, maybe three things in the match. Cool chefs are just constantly doing stuff. And it's not always paying off, but it's all, he's constantly doing stuff. It's creating chances, half chances, dangerous movements, letting Harry get involved in the match, like you said, Ben. It's just, you know, he's just making deposit after deposit throughout the whole match. And it's really, you know, I think, I think it's noticeable. And I'm really excited to see what that looks like next year when you know, we've had a full preseason and we've integrated other parts of the squad and he's like really had a chance. I mean, he's doing this with like a month, month and a half, um, you know, just hitting the ground running. And it's been really, really impressive. I know we come on here every week and talk about how much we love Kulishevsky, but. I think, you know, he, he shares Lucas's instinct when getting the ball, he wants to turn and run at the defender and move the ball forward. Like that's his first instinct every time the ball touches his feet. But I think, and it may be a product of the fact that he is just not fast and knows that that's not always going to work for, out for him. But he also seems to have a sense of recognizing when it's not on and knowing when to check back and knowing when to find the midfielder or the fullback, you know, to like keep the play alive because yeah. he can't drive it himself. And Lucas is just constantly just running down blind alleys because he just wants to run towards goal. He's playing hero ball. He's just. He's- it's like, you know, you get the ball, you just run at the goal, and you hope for the best. And if not, you'll try it again next time. And like that's not how like real soccer works. And like Kulisevsky has a much better sense of the the shape of the game around him, and when he can drive, and when he can push, and when he shouldn't. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the relationship he's developed with the two of them, with Romero and Doherty, you know, it's just. It's been night and day. It's it's so good. And, I mean, it just makes you want to buy more players from Juventus. Um, speaking of which, we've been linked with Paolo Dybala this week. Uh, that's happened before with Spurs. I don't know. Uh, I'm a little skeptical that he sort of is a neat fit into our team, uh, much less our league. Uh, you know, that's a lot of money. Also, it feels like that's the kind of signing that uh, keeps uh, – Antonio Conte sweet and uh, not complaining about what Spurs are doing with their transfer budgets in the summer. Uh, Ryan, I'll start with you. Do you think Dybala would be a good fit at Spurs? Uh, Yes, I think he would be a good fit. I think your question is, you know, my question is, he has always functioned better as part of a two. Um, And so to think that he comes in and can play in a three, either as a replacement for Harry Kane or as a replacement for Son or, you know, instead of Kulisevsky, uh, I don't know how that works. Um, But that being said, I think he he's one of the he's not necessarily a post hype signing and that he's been at. Juventus for a while, but he's a he's a signing that could make financial sense. I mean, he's he's running down his contract. Um, they it seems like he is unhappy at Juventus, uh, and he's pretty good. I mean, I think 
Michael Cayley, who's, who's been on you know our show fairly <laughs> recently, I think. Um, you know, he, he says like, oh, there's definitely a possibility that he can be budget messy. And I don't know, budget messy sounds kind of good. Like that seems like a thing that I would want. Um, and you know, I, 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 is he going to replace Harry, everything that Harry Kane does if, in the, in this weird, unlikely, in this weird scenario where Harry Kane leaves? Uh, I don't I don't think so. I don't think he's he's going to have the goal scoring prowess that Kane does. Um, but I mean, in a world where you need another striker and you need somebody who is, you know, an elite passer who can also finish. I, I don't think you can go wrong with Dybala. Yeah, I think my feelings on Dybala are having a fourth attacker is necessary. Like Lucas and Bergvine. God love their contributions. They've had some really great moments. Are just not the guys who are going to take us to the next level. They're not. If we have to run with any one of them for any extended period of time, they're just not good enough. And we've seen that for years now. You know, you need a fourth attacker. You're not getting your first three players on the pitch 38 games a season, plus Europe, plus Cups just not going to happen. You, you just need a deeper squad than that. And I think the thing about Dybala is you can see a way he fits into a front three with any of the, any two of the three guys we already have, you know, Kulishevsky, Kane, Son Kane, Son Kulishevsky, it all kind of works. The issue is it kind of works the least well if it's Dybala, Son, and Kane. And Son and Kane are two guys you just want on the pitch as much as possible. So, like, that's kind of iffy. And even though he's free, he's going to command pretty high wages. So, given the number of other signings we need to make, namely, like, our wing backs, our left center back, maybe even a midfielder, it may be an issue if we're allocating that much of our resources to a guy like Dybala. But assuming that's not an issue and like he's just our uh, the fourth guy in, in the three-man rotation I, I think you probably can't get a better guy who is as flexible a player as he is he's good as a 10 he's a good passer like brian said he's a good creator he can dribble he's a good scorer he's not harry Kane's scorer but like he's a finisher he'll get goals you know he's a guy you can just plug into that that front three as needed and you're in good shape. Um, and I think, like you said, Greg, he's a guy that just might make Conte happy and excited to get like a big name star kind of player. I mean, and he's free. Well, he's free. yeah, but he's still going to cost a lot. And he's Argentine. Maybe he and Romero are best friends. I don't know, but I'm assuming they're best friends. I think so that's, I think the, the the two things here. One, the thing that does worry me uh, would worry me about signing up to Bala beyond mo- if we're going to put money aside and even fit is just you know is that a guy who's going to physically stand up to the Premier League? Like that worries me. I mean, this is a guy who's not always the healthiest in Italy, and I think the Premier League is a lot rougher than that. Um, but putting that aside, I think the thing that normally I would be like, we're not going to get him because I think PSG is going to be sniffing around for star-like substances this summer. I think um, Madrid, Atletico Madrid is going to be looking for attackers. Can PSG fit another attacker? Well, they're going to lose like one or two of them, so that's why I think they're going to 
maybe buy him. Um, but uh, I, I think the only X factor here is like Paratici was at Juventus. Paratici probably has a relationship with him and his agent. Like maybe it happened. Like I, he never. I don't think he played right. for Conte. He goes to PSG. Yeah, that, there you go. Uh, I don't think he played for Conte, but that's surely like you know something that I would imagine is going to be attractive to him if we come in for him. I don't know. It'd be interesting. I'm not going to turn my nose up at it, but I generally where you are, Ben, I think we probably have better places to spend our money this off season, but it's not like he make us worse. Um, yeah, it'd be one of those signings that we could like that, you know, you could look at and then that would shut fans up. I think it would, well, forget fans. It would shut our manager. Up. Yeah. It's just like one of those things. Where all like, I don't want to hear about, I don't want to hear about our ambition. I don't want to hear Conte bitching about our ambition if we sign Dybala for him. Yeah, so exactly. Assuming, assuming it doesn't mean we can't sign where we need to sign more, um, like more higher priority targets, my only concerns about Dybala are not his ability. It's his injury record and his age. He's 28. You know, we need to get younger. Kane and Son are already, like, around 30 having another guy who's in that territory is not like the profile we should be targeting. Well, it's not the profile we've been targeting. Like we, I mean, we have been getting younger over the past, especially since Paratici got here. Um, you know, I mean, Romero is young. I mean, Bentoncourt is practically an old man among our new signings and he's like 25 or 26 or something. Uh, so, I mean, we have, to follow be a departure. I just, I have a feeling we're going to splash some money around next summer um, in order to keep Conte happy. And I don't know if that just means volume signings or big up-and-comer signings or what, but I could see it taking the form of Dybala. I think he's the kind of guy who's good enough, even if he's older, you get him, he makes you better, and you deal with the consequences yeah. of having a guy on high wages with an injury record. You have Conte. I mean, it's like... If you're not all in, what's the point of having Conte? Like, I'm not saying that's necessarily the move, but I'm saying the fact that he's 28 shouldn't necessarily be the thing that scares us off. Right. My feeling is, is like, if we're signing Paulo Dybala, it's because we're trying to win something next year, and he's a great guy to get you there. Yeah, you're so, buying one or two years of elite performance. It, what you hope you're buying with him is one or two years of elite performance. Right. And, you know, we'll do the other business. We get a guy like that. You, you don't say no when a guy like that's on the market. We've been trying to sign up for years. So I just want to wrap this one up. Uh, I, I feel like we don't always take time to stop and smell the roses. So uh, how much fun was it beating West Ham uh, comprehensively this week, Ben? It was, it was really, really good, honestly. Like, it's been a very down, you know, period where we win and lose every other game. Breaking that hoodoo against West Ham and winning two in a row was great. West Ham coming off of a, you know, impressive Europa League performance where they knocked out Sevilla. It's Sevilla's first loss to an English club. Like, West Ham's having an annoyingly good season um, for anybody, but really for West Ham. Um, knocking them back down to earth feels good. Um, there are a bunch of shitheads. That feels good. They care about this so much that feels good um, well ben you you more than anyone should be able to appreciate you know how satisfying it is to show little brother that big brothers always win right that's right <laughs> little brother gets a little too big for their britches these days 
It's so, it's, honestly, it's been deeply annoying watching West Ham. Like, I mean, it's what, the second pretty good year they've had in a row under Moyes? And just, like, watching them play well and move up the table is really, really honestly aggravating. And it's, it's, well, and it's, I was going to say, especially because they've done it in, like, an actually kind of interesting way in where in which Moyes has made some smart transfer decisions and, you know, he's taken a player who was, you know, a right back and been like, hey, you can be a striker. And, you know, it, it, and it's worked for them. And, and, like, it's kind of like where we were under Harry Redknapp where you had, like, this, like, the traditional English manager who wants to do things the traditional English way, but is also, like, just giving some of these guys that are good and young the freedom to do some interesting stuff. I mean, Declan Rice is a really, really good player, and I find it very annoying how good he is. Um, you know, Jared Bowen is very you think You think it's annoying. Wait till, uh, wait till you think, wait, how annoying do you think it's going to be when, for Harry Kane when uh, Man City meet his buyout clause? Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I think Declan Rice will end up at Chelsea, um, but you know, whatever. Um, oh, is he is he a right wing? Is he a right winger that uh, the Ricketts are going to buy? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, it's just uh, it. It was very satisfying to beat them because, like, they have gotten into their head that they are in the ascendancy in the way that we were, you know, five, six, seven, eight years ago. And I think also, like, as a club that is a perennial younger brother kind of figure in the league to Arsenal and Chelsea and, you know, and, like, always having that chip on our shoulder, it's nice to be able to just flex downward and punch <laughs> down on, like, some, you know, too big for their britches up-and-comer and remind them of the pecking order. You know, especially as we've been reminded of the pecking order all too often in recent years. And, and it's it's more fun to do it to them than it is to do it to like Fulham or Palace. They're not or... real younger brothers. Like I mean, like because we are West Ham's biggest rival, and we well, I mean, we, be, we we don't like to even acknowledge West Ham exists. So I mean, yeah, I mean, I think West Ham would say that probably what Millwall is their biggest rival. If Green Street Hooligans is to be believed. If if they are honest with themselves, which I don't think they generally are, I think they would like to pretend that Spurs are their biggest rival. I I've never met a West Ham fan in the wild. You guys have, so uh, I have I have been to two games against West Ham at uh Tottenham Hotspur at White Hart Lane, both of which I had to explain to another American less familiar with soccer why that group of people was hissing a lot. Um, which, let me tell you, got 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 some raised eyebrows both times. So, yeah, but I I, I do always enjoy beating them, especially because we seem to do it in, in much more entertaining fashion than we than we do in, against other London teams. I think it's it probably speaks to my psychology. It's like I just remember these like one nil losses to Antonio headers, and I, I I'm trying to appreciate games like this more because I should because they do happen more often than you realize. But that's the nature of like a big brother, little brother dynamic. You just you you expect to beat them. You expect to whip their ass. They're, West Ham's a team that any given year could face relegation. We are not that team anymore. And I think you know what it feels like to have nothing to play for for your season, but like beating Arsenal feels great. 
And so you know how much that means to West Ham to beat us and getting to deprive them of that moment of joy is is wonderful. Well, think about think about the it's dopamine hit. Arsenal and like the joy of that, but it's the joy of depriving them of that. It's, it's own, it's well, not own just that, depriving them of not just that, but the racist satisfaction they get when they beat us. So like, you know, there's a whole variety of things we're just like denying the world when we beat them. It's great. Love satisfaction. Anyway, West Ham are terrible. I hate them. I'm glad we beat them. It's really, it's really satisfying to do that. It's always great to come on here and make cup final jokes uh, about West Ham. I mean, like my honestly, like my most guilty pleasure as a soccer fan, as a Spurs fan, is I do enjoy the team that David Moyes has put together for West Ham. Like, they're a fun team, and like they have some really good players, and I, I, I like watching them, and I hate them, but. Well, they're a weird team that, like, they have assembled this really interesting, fun team, like you said, Ben. But, like, I'm not sure they're savvy enough to keep... Because, like, I think one of the things that really made that... Excuse me, made Spurs so unique um, when we were on the come-up in the late 2000s and early 2010s is we were very smart about rolling those our players into a better... into You know, like, sort of refreshing the squad on a, on a sort of rolling basis. And I'm, I'm not sure I believe West Ham has the infrastructure or smarts to do that. But they assembled this team, and you know, so who knows? I mean, maybe they, maybe they do. Yeah, I mean, I hope it's the kind of thing that like enjoy it while it lasts, West Ham fans, and then they go back to being terrible. I mean, look, they're Declan Rice and Jared Bowen transfer away from being shit again. Right. Assuming they don't spend that money wisely, which, you know, could probably go either way. So. Six of one, half dozen the other. Yeah, I don't know. I, well, I, I, tr- it will be a great day on Twitter.com when West Ham sell Declan Rice and buy Stephen Pinar. Uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Who, who, uh, I'm trying to think who else David Moyes. David Moyes. Really David, Moyes. <laughs> David Moyes. Well, he did manage in he, Spain. He did hit his La Real. That's true. So... Um, yeah, tr- <laughs> who else? Who else did he re- really like? Um, Leighton Baines coming out of retirement. Yeah, Leighton Baines. <laughs> there was some other Everton player that he always. Uh, Tony Hibbert, does he still exist? He's Tony he was like forty when he was at Everton. Yeah, so I'm sure there's somebody. Uh, he, I, I think you're right though that Pinar is his kind of like Nico Cranchar. Well, he's more than his Nico Cranchar. I mean. <laughs> That is his, like, familiar, but... Yeah. Anyway, if you want to uh, send tweets to Ben about his disgusting West Ham fandom, where can they do it, Ben? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Adam Richman. (laughs) Uh, You can find me on Twitter at Comrade Uspers. Brian, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Brian underscore Ashlock. That is Brian with a Y. You can find me on Twitter at Skipjack0079. And if you've listened this far, uh, tweet us about it. I'm kind of curious to see who makes it past our uh, Twitter names. Don't forget to follow our podcast at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as a real deal radio. For Ben, for Brian, for Adam Richmond, and for uh, Brett Rainbow. I've been your host, Greg. Come on, you Spurs.